Okay, we are live. Episode three of Investor Series. Uh, I like these special episodes. We're going to get a lot of good information out of it. Natalie Borowski from Coefficient Capital, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Mark. Excited to be here. My pleasure. Uh, you are in New York City, is that correct? I am in New York City. Um, it is a beautiful sunny day here. Our office is located right on Union Square, so I'm looking out onto Union Square right now. Very, very cool. Um, uh, give, give, us, give us the makeup of sort of the company. Is it just yourself or there, is there a team? Uh, what, what does it look like? When was it founded? Yeah, so Coefficient Capital, we're about three and a half years old at this point five-person investment team, um, so pretty lean. Um, and we focus on the intersection of consumer and technology. So for us, that really means anything that's consumer-facing, that's doing something differentiated from a tech perspective. Um, tech defined in many ways. It could be food tech. It could be building communities online, building content. It could be platforms and marketplaces that are consumer-facing and really anything in between. Um, we like to say there's two really big consumer shifts. What consumers are buying is changing. They want better for you, organic, et cetera. And how consumers are buying is changing. They're on digital channels, they're on TikTok, DTC, et cetera. Um, and we're kind of at that intersection, really built the ground up to be both a consumer and a tech firm. And the makeup of the team is pretty reflective of that in terms of, you know, half people come from more traditional consumer backgrounds, half come from more traditional tech backgrounds. Um, and that's where we really get excited at that intersection of those two. What, what does the fund look like? Where, where, how much is in the fund, if there is, and where, where was that sort of brought in by? And then maybe just give a, a small glimpse of yourself. What was your background before coming on? Yeah, so we have two um, funds actually under the firm. So we have an early growth fund and a late growth fund. The early growth fund focuses on series A and series B investment. The late growth fund focuses on series C all the way to pre-IPO. So we like to say, you know, it's a five-person investment team. We all work across both funds. So we're series A and above, stage agnostic above series A. Um, the first fund was closed again three and a half years ago. That was around $170 million. Second fund um, had our first close a couple months ago, around similar size. Um, so check sizes range between kind of 5 million and 20 million. So for the later stages, we can lead, co-lead, or participate. Um, and we're key-based, you know, kind of a mix of large institutions, endowments, a lot of nonprofits, um, et cetera. Cool. Um, if you would, why don't you give us a little bit, may, maybe if, if you can, I'm assuming you can, um, maybe the last few, let's stick with the, the smaller, the more of that A round stuff, um, closer to the 5 million. What are businesses maybe that you have invested in lately, maybe the last 12 months, um, and what did they look like? And then we'll get into sort of the specifics of, of why you had interest. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so some of our portfolio companies, Magic Spoon, I think other investors that you've spoken to have brought up that company. They actually just had news yesterday, which was really exciting, launching a Target, closed another round, um, but we were also investors in them prior. Um, so we love Magic Spoon, really exciting formulation and brand and just the way they connect consumers. Um, so that's one example. Um, we're also investors in Sesame, which is not food related, but they're a direct pay marketplace for healthcare. Um, so people without insurance or with high deductibles can go on Sesame and kind of pay for healthcare the same way they can pay for anything else and get really great prices. Um, we're also investors in House, the um, low out um, app business, 
really great female founder and really compelling brand story and unique way of selling a spirit occasion online. Um, so those are just kind of to name a few more recent ones. Um, and then there's also some very recent ones, which unfortunately I can't share, but hopefully news will come out in those in the, um, in the next couple of weeks and we can talk about them next time. I think it's going to be perfect then if it, we, we may stay really focused on, on a brand like Magic Spoon because there's going to be a lot of questions. Again, you can answer what you can uh, and, and not, you know, you know, if there's something that comes at you that just can't, it is what it is. Um, yeah. We saw that they raised, so this is good timing. Uh, yesterday, there, there's, uh, it, it was noted that they raised another $85 million round. Um, and that they're going into physical brick and mortar. So they have a launch at Target. That's a great partnership. Um, many have done that. When I say many, meaning the few that have, they've been really strategic. There's something behind it that most of us don't know about. What uh, were you in? You were in a previous round. Were you in this round as well? Yes, we were in the previous round and we were in this round. Okay. You have to give us, for those that have no clue and those that had to have all commonly said, how is that even possible? What, what could put possibly be $85 million worth in a, a brand like that? And by the way, I know, I know Gabby, I'm a fan of the individual, the talent within that pool that again, most would have no idea about just, just, just the founder's talents. Um, I'm a fan of the brand. I don't eat that. I'm very open about stuff. I don't eat stuff like that. I'm not a fan of, of that type of, of eating. Um, but again, I'm open and transparent about things like that. But I also now understand it. I understand what the, the, the timing of it, the market fit, just keto in general, right? I, I, there, that, there's the success story, all the things. So founder, brand, product, market fit, boom, yeah. $85 million. Where does that even get deployed? Yeah, Mark, you perfectly articulated our like framework for investing, right? Like you got to have great founders. You got to be in a really great, large growing market that you believe is going to continue to grow. That's backed behind an irreversible consumer trend. And you got to have a truly differentiated product or service. Then ultimately you got to have strong financials that lead to strong returns for your investors, right? Like those are kind of the four things. Um, and I think Magic Spoon just perfectly hits all four of those, right? Like, like you mentioned, stellar team, repeat founders, really understand the business, live and breathe the business day to day, incredible leaders that have built a beautiful team around them that can really execute on the vision. Um, market, I think breakfast cereal is an incredible market. We did a lot of market work in terms of the breakfast category cereal in particular. We did a survey um, in terms of understanding like the keto consumer. And I think Magic Spoon really came at the intersection of kind of that keto consumer that really was looking for new and innovative products, as well as kind of that nostalgia for childhood that you're really seeing in the Gen Z and the millennial today. People want that sugary cereal they grew up on. It's very nostalgic. They love the graphics and like kind of how it makes them feel. But realistically, like kind of what I said in the beginning, like when people want better for you products, they're not going to go back to Fruit Loops just because that all the artificial things that are in there make it so that like as much as they want that nostalgia, it's not worth going to that product. And Magic Spoon was really able to that intersection of that key better for you consumer and that nostalgia um, for childhood and nostalgia for, you know, kind of those like, 90s, early 2000s um, type cereals. Um, and they truly made a differentiated product that actually tastes good. I also really like keto products and I'm very picky with them. Um, and of course, Magic Spoon went through various iterations to like continuously 
and I really now they've absolutely hit a point where I can eat their cereal and it honestly tastes like um, Fruit Loops to me. And like, I'm not a um, regular consumer of it, but my fiance definitely is. And he absolutely loves it and loves all the flavors. Okay. So, so I, again, I'm going to just concentrate because I think that this is what's when people might are going to want this piece right in the middle. And I think we should just stay focused. Um, I, I, they're, uh, they're a direct to consumer play. So for those that don't know that business, they, they have been since they started. So it's a three years in they're direct to consumer. They had to have been burning a ton of cash. I'm just, I'm just giving just, you don't have to say a thing. I'm just, I, I'm in the business. And I, I know what is happening out there. And this is just going to be fair Q&A to educate people. That's all that people want is value from these types of shows, whether it's founders, we do sales stuff, we do marketing, and now we're doing investor stuff. So somebody wants to raise capital. It, it doesn't, you know, we're, it doesn't even have to be 85 million. This is just, this is just information. It could be one, it doesn't matter. It, they're, they're, they're acquire, their type of business was about acquiring customers. They somehow were able to get in front of the right people, uh, really on concept. Again, probably because of what you know, you know, they have a great educational pedigree. Somebody asked me, I get a lot of uh, back, you know, private messages or conversations like, what, how did they do it? Or what? And I'm very forthright. Educational pedigree. It, it, it is, it, it's just something, it's, a, it, it, it's value. Um, it's not like, wow, somebody was really intelligent. No, there's also a huge network that comes with that. Um, it's why there's a lot of people who, who discount education today and like, no, you should just be an entrepreneur. You're just doing it. No, there's a lot that comes with it. And then just, again, giving that, giving them credit, like they're actually intelligent. It's not like, I don't even know where he went. I'm really brown or something like that. He probably did. It's just, they're actually like super intelligent individuals who have an entrepreneurial uh, bone in them, like a good one. And so they're just great. So that's why like there's, that's part of it. So I'm moving that aside. What? But there's a little bit of an it, it factor, right? Cause there's I would so like you to give it to me. Give me, give me, give me the, give like me the why it factor. So... Give it to me. Yeah. I mean, the, the, sometimes, sometimes there's things that you just, can't necessarily put your finger on it exactly right like because like those four things that i just dis- discussed you know team market product and then like you know, financials and returns a lot of companies can theoretically check those boxes um but that doesn't mean that as a serial company direct to consumer you're going to truly grow like crazy that they've been growing and achieve the revenue they've achieved through only direct to consumer right like a lot of people would have thought upon investing in this like this is ultimately a serial company you will have to do retail sooner rather than later i think magic spoon was able to prove that if you have that it factor, if you're really great founders, really understand the market, just created a formulation of a product that really resonates with people and put it out there in a way that resonated with consumers, they were able to build it direct to consumer for this long amount of time, which is incredibly unique. Like, yes, they're going into retail now. That is the next phase of the business. It's incredibly exciting. It's going to grow to new heights because of that. Um, but I think they stay DTC for a lot longer than most brands would. I think if you look at a lot of their competitors, there are a lot of their competitors have already been in retail because they needed to be. Whereas Magic Spoon, because of that it factor, was able to really have good repeat behavior. I mean, that's something we look at when we diligence brands. We look at repeat and look at retention. How often are people coming back? And if you looked at Magic Spoon numbers back when we invested, it was really very consistent repeat behavior, which just, you know, it tells you they've cracked it. Consumers like it. They're coming back. 
Okay. You can't buy with a P. You can I, buy I want, quiet. I want to give value there, and there I'm going to just point that big piece out. There, they have, and are able to showcase something that most miss when it comes to direct to consumer or just don't fundamentally understand. Most would assume, again, it's something that I put out there, but it's just an assumption, but it's probably, you know, it's gotta be fat. When you're burning cash, if you raise a ton of money and you've made it known, you go into, you go into the meeting saying, I'm going to burn this, this, we're not, we're not going to be profitable for maybe ever. I mean, it just, they, they, they're, they're just, they're just being so forthright, but they're showing this, this thing, this, this trend, this metric, they pull out all these financial, they're going, let me show you what is happening though. When we acquire the customer for $50, yes, we lose $75, whatever it may be, right? However, that customer comes back on an average six times. So again, I'm, I have no clue. I'm using it just everybody relax. Okay. Everybody relax. Okay. Okay. I'm just demonstrating, right? This is what, and they break these out. And this is where a really great founder and, or, you know, you you have a co-founder who's maybe the, the number guy or gal, and you're just the spirit of it. Like that's where the fun happens. And she had made mention, there's just something that some of these people have where it's just like, I like this. I like them and I like this and I believe in it and I understand and they're being forthright about what is this business going to look like and they're going to say something even crazier. Hey guys, you know that six or 10 million you're investing right now, I'm burning that in 24 months, but even better. After that 24 months, we're going to raise $50 million. Like they're saying things like this. They're, they're showing why. I think you're touching on something really important. I think there's just a factor of authenticity that is really critical in, in founders. Authenticity and transparency and having trust with your investors to kind of tell them what your plan is and then them being able to trust you that you will do what you say, being able to deliver that. And then again, like building that team around you that can deliver on that vision. But like there are challenges always in every company along the way. And I think just like that two-way trust between founder, exec team and investor is just so important because um, it really, to your point, if like, if like we know we're going to be unprofitable, we need this money. It's like, that's great. We have a plan. We're going to go forth. And then I have trust that founders are going to come to me and tell me when they need help with something and that I'm going to be able to come to them when, they, when I have questions and it's going to be a two-way dialogue. And I think that that partnership is really critical. I think that's a really important. I think there's a lot of, I, I, and I see it because I do get people that come to me I, because I'm in the trenches, right? And I'm so open in, with dialogue that people, I think, feel comfortable. They're like, I know I can trust a conversation and he's going to tell me he's not going to fluff this. You know me, I'm not like, go get him. You know, someone's like, oh, no, I think I'm not going to be like, it's just around the corner. No, it ain't. It, it ain't around the corner. It's not, it's not how this works. And, and um, Again, it goes back to the, the magic that magic, that's so slim. I'm so sorry. I had to just do that. That magic spoon has, and it's a shout out to their team. It's just one of those things. It's, it's, it's one of those things. They, 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 they're experienced and they're knowledgeable and they're smart and they're savvy. And they, 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 they're well, they're marketers too, like the cold combination and they have a decent product. I've never tried it. So I'm, I'm taking what I've heard before. There's iterations. Whenever I hear there's iterations, even like three years later, it means like they started at some point where even they were probably like, oh, this needs to get better if we're going to have a long-term play. 
So, so it, we're all, we've all seen that. We've all been part of that. I'll also, the majority, 95% don't understand what you just said, which is like, it's very possible that you may be a company that's burning capital. You know, that's your story. You, it's very possible that you don't, you don't even break even until 10 million, 15 million run rate. Well, tell that story and be confident in it because that's the business that you're building. I think there's a, a big, a, a, there's a big misconception with what you're supposed to do or how you're supposed to build the business today. And, and people are raising 100,000 or 500,000 and they have no clue that not only are they going to burn through that, they may have been saying things that they shouldn't have to existing investors that are incorrect. Yeah. And the storyline starts moving rather than a, a case in point, a magic spoon, experienced founders, or maybe like I'm, I'm, one, I'm using this again as a, like John Forker from Once Upon a Farm. I don't, this is all guesswork. I'm sorry, I'm just saying it. They raised recently like 65 million. And one of the headlines was something like, we believe we'll be profitable at a hundred million. Like think about what he said, what, what somebody said. I want, again, I think this was a headline. So don't be upset at me. We, be, we're, we believe we'll be profitable at a hundred million run rate. A hundred million run rate. 95% of, of you say, oh my God, I can't, they're not, they're not profitable. Think about that though. He, he, he sat down with investors early and showcased what is the business going to look like? He never said, I'm going to be profitable at 10 million. I need 5 million now. Again, this is so guesswork. I'm just telling you, it's just an assumption. He never sat down or his team and said, I need you know this 65 million because we're about to, no. He showed what is going to occur. And he, he and he was probably so consistent with the messaging and his experience, pedigree, education, time at Annie's, and but everything else. By the way, folks. Um, so sorry, I'm just. No, I, I think a really important point to founders, right? It's like showing investors a model that actually makes sense makes all the difference in the world because there's a lot of companies that's like, oh, we're at like one million in revenue and next year we'll be fifty. It's like, well, great, I've never seen a company grow that fast. Like, explain to me how. And it's fun to put that on a slide, right? It like can maybe get people excited, but at the end of the day, investors do their diligence. They're sophisticated. They're going to go into your model and they're going to tweak the assumptions based on what they have in their experience and what they've seen and get to the number that they think is reasonable. And I think it speaks volumes when founders are able to project, like show a reasonable projection model um, at the get-go and have a really honest conversation with investors and actually sit down together even before term sheet or you know before closing to work on the model together and agree like what is the right strategy for this business and how does that strategy get reflected in the model and what we're saying is going to be revenue and profit. Um, and I think it should really be a collaborative process and it shouldn't just be some dream. It should be rooted in, in reality and it's okay to be transparent about these things. Um, and the one thing I will add also is I think we are actually very um, focused on unit economics and profitability. So, you know, of course, like not every company is profitable and we understand that like you need to spend in order to grow. Um, but even companies that are burning a lot, you know, they can be great investments if their unit economics makes sense. Because essentially what that means is if you have enough, to your point, like if, you're losing money on the first order, but you get people to come back six, 10, 20 times, you're making money on that customer. And then it's in your control to toggle whether you're burning or not burning. If you're
you're in a situation in which you need to stop burning money and lose so much, if you have sustainable unit economics and a nice tax strategy, you can actually become a profitable business. Um, boys, let's continue investing. And it's not even really burning out of this conversation with the founder that came in yesterday. He's like, I don't like the word burn. I was like, that's actually very fair because it's not like you're throwing it truly into the fire. If you have sustainable unit economics and the business model makes sense, that money is actually going towards growth that could turn into profitability based on your strategic decision-making. That's a lot of really good info. And, and I went long-winded on some stuff just because I know that it's the thought of so many, right? They don't even know what to do with their energy. And, and that's why I, I talk about it often, like get out of the headlines. But that's a big headline yesterday. I know it gets people super enamored, especially in today's environment. Things have changed. We're, we're not going to discount that. Um and, you know, you, it's not like people don't want other people to win. It's just the me too. And not the me too. Not the, me too. Like, what, what about me? Or why didn't I? Well, you can answer it yourself. I, and that's why I'm very fair to myself. But that's through experience. Like, what, what is happening right now? What isn't? Where should I be positioning this brand right now? Where should I should not? Where should my energy and time be to really make it through this thing, right? Because there's some, again, cliche, there's some tough roads ahead. Um, and some may win during those times, but many are going to lose. And, um, I, you know, it, it's a reminder, and I know you know this too, you guys strike out a lot. I'm using the the proverbial like investment community. It's it should be it should be noted. It's like if if people had this this magic wand, they would be you know it'd be great. Sorry, I did a magic thing again. I was really I'm just this is sorry. It's like you had it planned out. You I mean, Gabby can cut me off a piece of that check and just for for the homage. Anyway, um, it, it's you the. Even you guys get it wrong a lot. And you could even be so dead, like just, just consistent and focused, unit economics and whoa, look at those velocities. And like, I like that guy or gal, or, you know, like look at the team she made, like, like all those things. And then 24 months goes by and it's like, ugh, what just happened? Then they're coming back for more money. When they come back for the more money, things look different. You may or may not follow it up. You may call it, you know, chalk it up as a loss. Like, you know, and I know that part of the business and the failures isn't talked on enough. It, there's no disclosure. There's no details. There's no, there, there, there's not, there's only the headlines that we read of wins, wins that we get. Yeah. yeah. No, sorry. I was, just, I was just agreeing with you. I, I agree. It's, it's, there's, I think you mentioned this in one of the previous episodes and there's like toxic positivity around a lot of this and everyone's constantly like, Oh, this is what's, what's being raised. It's these valuations, like, you know, writing LinkedIn posts about all these successes and people aren't upfront. Um, I mean, I think it's starting more and more in terms of people being okay, being vulnerable, sharing bad news. Um, just being real uh, with people in their community and also more outwardly. But I think like being a founder is probably one of the hardest jobs in the entire world. Um, I have not been one, but I grew up surrounded by entrepreneurs. I have cousins who are founders. My parents started their own company. It's all this, um, I mean, I grew up around entrepreneurship and it's incredibly difficult and it takes your whole self 
and people just see the glamour side of it a lot of the time. And I think it's it's important to remember that at the end of the day, it is a hundred hours a day, not 24 job. Um, and it's constant and it's difficult and there are challenges and there are great wins and they absolutely should be celebrated. But when you're having these kinds of content pieces that founders are listening to, it's also important to remember the hard stuff. We could go on a, a lot further and I, I wouldn't mind, you know, having back so we can dive into other things. I think it was cool that we at least got to touch on, on something that's current right now, which is nice. And we didn't have to go into details. I was just giving sort of like, what do people think or what really is happening? And I want to kind of recap a couple of things and then you can just close it out with, with, you know, is this fact, right? You, no, nothing is going to just come to you. That's number one, right? Everybody who's out there wants to raise money. I don't care if it's their first 20,000 or the hundred thousand or their first, you know, first, you know, million. It doesn't, at the end of the day, you just have to have a plan in place. That's number one. You need to be confident in yourself that you're able to execute on that plan. And that plan, which involves a brand and our product and everything that goes within that, right? Or that is connected to it, market fit and the like, it needs to make sense. That's it. It just all needs to make sense. So it could be as, as simple as does the product taste good? Okay. Um, you know, who, who is the customer? Have you defined that person? And could you showcase that this might be working, right? Just all this. We can go down to 20 things, right? So, if you are an investor at a higher level is saying, we're looking at those few things, the founder, like does this person have the chops, you know, um, the product, the brand, the market fit, and then potentially you're a little further along like unit economics, right? Was it just, did they have unit economics from the farmer's market? Nah, no, I want some real unit economics. Like, 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 is it selling and what is it selling for? And is there profitability at some point down the line? Um, is there repeat customers and blah, blah, blah. If you want to just recap and frame it for everybody out there who is potentially going to raise and what an investor, you can even be thinking of an honest investor, not a $5 million check writing investor. What are they looking for? Yeah, I mean, I, you summed it up perfectly. I think it's an articulate. I think you know, founder is really important. So, an articulation of why you're the right founder for this business, what the story is, why you're going to lead to success, how you're going to surround yourself with the right people to enact that vision that you have. And two is that market. Why is this market compelling? Is it large? Is it growing? How do you fit within that market? Three, how is your product or service differentiated? What is unique about it? How is that protectable? Is there a moat that you have? Are there just like incredibly loyal customers? How can you put kind of numbers behind that differentiation and that loyalty beyond just it tastes good? Um, and then, you know, that, that fourth one is more for the later stage investors, but like do the economics make sense? Does this business have a model that ultimately will work when it's scaled? Um, and do the returns make sense for investors? Uh, I think that's kind of how we think about it, those four buckets. Um, and I think also, like, especially at the earlier stages, those first two are really important, just having the right team working within the right market. Uh, and I think just like making sure that that team has the kind of the right experience, the right tenacity, the right personalities um, to go after what they're trying to go after and making sure that there's you know, trust among the founders, among the people that they brought onto their team and among the investors that they brought on. Because ultimately, you kind of need all of those stakeholders in order to make a thriving and successful business. And there needs to be trust and authenticity um, across all those parties. You absolutely nailed that. Uh, and I appreciate that a lot. Um, you uh, speak very well. 
Um, <laughs> Natalie Borowski, Coefficient Capital, her info is there. I appreciate having you on and I'm glad we had something that really just came up current. Um, hopefully people, you know, take something from it. It's, you know, we're, we're, all, we're all trying to win big, small and, and everything in between and having information in your back pocket to at least help you, right? Be in the best position to win is, is all that, you know, all that you can really ask for. Um, so that's that. You be well, you have a great rest of the week. Thank you so much, really appreciate it.